0: Okay, welcome to our episode. We are talking about science and God's existence. Again, my name is Mark Clark. We have- Dominic. Dina. All right, we're gonna jump into this science and existence of God. Um, A massive topic. Lots of questions came in in regard to, you know, why is it contradictory to Christianity, all that stuff. So first question out of the gate was, uh, are there conflicts between scientific evidence and religious doctrines? So how do, how, do, how do we start into this kind of wading into the water of science and the existence of God? Any of you guys have a yeah. you want to jump into this?
1: I, I, will, I will front by saying that I was homeschooled and so my science education is lacking. Mm. But my philosophical education is strong. and so I'm going to yeah. approach this from talking about the philosophy of silence, mm, science science, sure. yeah. which people maybe know, don't even think about that. Right. They think like there's the scientific method. right. There is the scientific method, Mm -hmm. but there's different versions of the scientific method that have philosophical underpinnings. Mm -hmm. So I think the answer to whether there are scientific um, problems with what the scripture says really depends on where you're approaching the philosophical side of this question. So I think first and foremost, you have to start with the question, is science something that should be neutral in terms of Mm. the existence of God? And so classic science would say, yeah, we don't start out from assuming God's existence. You can just start out from a question, perhaps God exists, perhaps God does not exist. Let's go out into the material world mm-hmm. and let's explore mm-hmm. what the world says and see whether it emerges with any evidence for the existence of God mm-hmm. or not. And I feel like when you approach when you approach science from that neutral standpoint, mm-hmm. then you will find a lot to consider in Christianity. Mm-hmm. If, on the other hand, you're approaching science and you're saying science must operate from the assumption that God does not exist, that's mm-hmm. going to yield a completely different answer. Right, which is a
0: philosophical yeah, you're getting starting to world point, deal. not a scientific one. So it, ergo, you're cutting off the branch you're kind of sitting on. And mm-hmm. it's yeah.
1: one that going out and searching the material world could never actually substantiate because God is not a material being and yeah, so it's a
0: category mistake to to look at exactly. the natural world and try to deduce things about a, a supernatural being mm-hmm. right. what what uh stephen jay gould said these are non-overlapping magisteria mm-hmm. right. we have to stop saying well i looked into i looked in the garden and it went oh my gosh god doesn't exist because the way bones work or whatever and it's like right. what why mm-hmm. are we we're, these are completely different categories yes. what we're talking about so yeah yeah
1: And I think, you know, it's not a crazy viewpoint there. There is a reason people would say science should operate from the assumption that God does not exist. And that is because of the fear of the God of the gaps argument. Sure. So a, a scientist with that viewpoint might say, if we if we leave it open for God to exist, then as scientists, we're not going to be rigorous in our pursuit of discovery and, and trying right. to find a material answer. We're just yep. going to say, well, I guess God did that. Yep. But I think the history of science actually says something different. There have been wonderful, um, accomplished scientists who've believed in the existence Mm -hmm. of God but have been able to apply rigorous pursuit of the scientific method to find good answers to scientific questions. And then the opposite is true. There have been scientists who are either agnostic or atheistic and they've been able to be quite successful. So I, I would say the right approach here is to say we don't know whether God exists in mm-hmm. terms of this big question and let's go out and let's study this question rather than just demanding that science start from an assumption that God does not exist. Yeah,
2: yeah. and if you, tru- if you truly have a heart for science and believe in the scientific process then you're going to want to be open to the new evidence that presents itself. Mm-hmm. Um, when we were living in England at a chance to meet Richard Dawkins, um, if you've never heard of him world's most famous atheist and uh, but his science oftentimes veers into scientism which becomes a world view or philosophical argument mm-hmm. and I was at this seminar that he was doing and he opened it up for Q&A and someone asked him they're like is there anything Professor Dawkins that would change your mind and any anything that we could bring to this court of a classroom that would sway your view of God right. and his response was so telling mm-hmm. um, because he's like no there's nothing like if I suddenly saw God appear before me I'd want to go see my psychiatrist or right. I'd want to bring God into the lab and dissect him or if I saw Yahweh in the cr- clouds I'd write it off of some you know psychotic okay. episode. There's literally nothing. That, that would change his mind, which, of course, shows us that the, his science in that case isn't falsifiable. Never a good thing when it comes right. to, to science. Exactly. So, how we approach it and being open to okay, what are some of the signposts mm-hmm. that would point to the existence of God and, and yeah. demonstrate His 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 reality in our life? So, yeah,
0: Richard Lewonton there is a quote where he talks about we can't let a divine foot in the door mm-hmm. uh, mm. at the beginning of yeah. the like. Let's let's any inquiry we do, let's make sure we don't ever use God as a reason to your point about the God Mm -hmm. and the gaps. So let's, let's, let's show, I mean, let's demonstrate a bit of the, the false dichotomy of this. Mm -hmm. Um, People have through history gone, well, you know, faith and science are at odds with each other. And, and uh, the problem of God, I talk about the myth of the, of the church versus science. And I talk about the idea that, You know, uh, another example of this is historical revisionism by skeptics is the story of the medieval church believing that the Bible taught a flat earth and then uh, reacting in outrage when science came along and proved the Bible was wrong. It's simply not true. From the time of the ancient Greeks, people knew the earth was round. They observed that the hull of a ship sailed from shore disappears before the top of the mast would see the reflection of the earth on the moon during an eclipse. They knew the earth was round. The so-called flat earth conflict is simply part of the 19th century propaganda. So Oxford professor, one of your buds, Alistair McGrath, concludes... rightly, the idea that science and religion are in perpetual conflict is no longer taken seriously by Mm -hmm. any major historian of science. It's one of the last remaining bastions of atheism, which survives only at the popular level, Mm -hmm. the internet, namely the myth that an atheistic faith-based science is permanently at war with a faith-based religion. It's just not true. And it's, it's never been true. And so we have to point out that the great universities, of the Western world, uh, whether it's Harvard or you know Brown or Yale or whatever, they were born out of a Christian worldview. Uh, seminaries trying to bring the idea of of God into things. Uh, the modern scientific method was born out of mm-hmm. Christian conviction. Uh, it was Christian scientists, from the Francis Bacon's of the world, all these people who are like, we have to study the world, mm-hmm. and it has order. These are all Judeo-Christian convictions versus say like Buddhism or animism. Mm-hmm. If animism was true, then every time you poke at a tree, you're like poking at a live spirit being. So it didn't give way to the hypothesis. Let's do, now we'll do a test. Now we'll do verification. It doesn't give way to that yeah. where Christianity becomes like the, the garden out of which mm. the modern world is built, yeah. and so um, even on a philosophical level, uh, I, I call it the Plantiga effect in uh, in the mm. Problem of God, where overnight this this guy, the most famous living philosopher of our time, is actually a Christian. He's a mm. theist. Yeah. Um, and what has happened over the course of the last 30 years or so on university campuses is it's what he calls the desecularization of philosophy. Mm-hmm. And it's that a lot of these philosophy departments are being overwhelmed by theists. Mm-hmm. Away from secularism mm-hmm. because they're realizing the legitimacy of guys like Plantiga and Polkinghorn and these, you know, these actual scientists who are Christians, the John Lennoxes of the world. Yeah. There are thinking people mm-hmm. who are sci- some of the greatest scientists of our time. Yes. And they're actually theists. Talk yeah. about that.
1: The guy that cracked the genome code, he is a yeah, Christian. Francis Collins. Oh no, yes. no, no,
0: well, no, Francis Crick cracked it, but he 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 played out the whole yes. geno- human Sorry. genome. Yes, yes, yeah.
1: And and so that's one of the lesser told stories, I think, think as you dive into, uh, you know, a Dawkins. Mm -hmm. And Mm. I just, I think it's really important. I'm thinking of someone who's listening who is a scientist, and they have received this belief that when they, for example, go into a lab, they need to take their Christianity and put it on a shelf that's not how science was born i think it's rodney stark i think you yeah. were sharing who who chronicled how it was actually christians belief in the reasonability of the world based on the orderliness, and the the reason of God himself that birthed the scientific method and brought science to the forefront of culture. So as a scientist, you don't have to go into the lab and put your faith on a shelf. Rather, it is your faith that should motivate you to do your work very, very well to think this is an orderly universe, and there is probably a reasonable explanation in this cause and effect. And it's my job to study it and look Mm -hmm. for a discovery and answer to a question. And that whole pursuit is something that can be sanctioned by your faith Motivated by your faith, and even helped by your faith.
2: Absolutely, I mean historically, that is the case. When you when you look at the list of people who their Christianity informed their science, it's it's crazy. Galileo, Johann, Johann Kepler, Blaise Pascal, Robert Boyle, Isaac Newton, Michael Faraday. I mean, this crazy list. But it was their belief in God. Uh, far from being a hindrance to science, was actually their main inspiration for it. Um, John Lennox, uh, he he wrote a book a number of years ago, Has Science Buried God? Mm -hmm. Um, And he he points out that Isaac Newton, when he discovered the laws of gravitation, Mm -hmm. he didn't say, oh, wonderful, I don't need God anymore. But rather, he said the opposite, like, what a wonderful God to have invented such a beautiful thing. And he wrote the Principia Mathematica. And in his introduction to that, he says, my goal here is to point people towards God. So it was the belief in a creator that animated and informed their science.
1: That's so good. I will say, though, as as someone that had to do a report I think, in the seventh grade on the Scopes trial, mm. I do understand... Culturally, especially in America, where this idea comes from that religion is pitted against science, because I think there have been many cultural conversations where perhaps people who have not been exposed to the history of science and and some better understandings Mm -hmm. of the way science can operate with our faith. I've just basically said um, that is opposite what the Bible says and therefore science is wrong.
0: Yes, it's a culture war mm-hmm. framing yes. of us versus science. Yeah. Partly and, our own. And doing. that's
1: how it's painted. It's it's yes. the Bible versus science. Yeah. And I think as Christians, it, it's important for us as much as possible to resist that debate because no. it's an oversimplification. And a lot of times it's about how people interpret the Bible, how people interpret science. And it, it needs to be a careful conversation mm-hmm. yeah. instead of just a crazy you're,
2: you're conversation. You're pointing out like the great irony there too, though, that Actually, the majority of Americans, according to Pew Research um, a couple years ago, they said that 55% of Americans believe there is a conflict between science and religion. Mm -hmm. But they come at it from two different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So you have the Peter Atkins, the Christopher Hitchens, Mm -hmm. Richard Dawkins, who are saying science is the enemy of faith. But also we have to acknowledge there's the other voice on the other side Mm -hmm. that is deeply, deeply suspicious about science. Mm -hmm. And, you know, whether it's new scientific discoveries or Mm -hmm. conversations about the uh, age of the earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there is within Christianity some sectors of Christianity. Yeah, Um, Yeah, there's not one monolithic
0: thing called science. Yeah. And then it's just decided a bunch of stuff and it's all been right. Right. And we're in conflict with it. Yeah. Exactly. yeah.
2: Well, I, I, I think our posture towards science really needs to be three things. Like, we, mm-hmm. we first of all, we recognize the limitations of science. Mm-hmm. We celebrate the discoveries of science, mm-hmm. and we engage with the deeper issue of worldview. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you me. mentioned Alvin Plantinga, and he has he wrote an amazing book on this topic called mm-hmm. "Where the Conflict Really Lies." Mm-hmm. And he argues there that it's not between religion and Christianity, faith, and, or, or religion and mm-hmm. science, rather the true conflict is between atheism yeah. worldview versus mm-hmm. theism. Yeah. Let's engage that issue because. When you look at science, it, it's exciting. Whether it's mm-hmm. the microscope or telescope, it reveals the heart of God, the beauty of God, the mystery yep. of God. What an amazing God to have created such an incredible world. That's why I think as, as followers of Jesus, we ought to be leaders mm-hmm. in the science. All things are yours, Paul says. Mm-hmm. Biology, chemistry, psychology, That's philosophy. Good. It's its all yours. So enjoy, yep. enjoy this beautiful yep. world he's made. Uh,
0: That's good. Coming back to the concept of sitting down uh, for coffee with a friend and having this discussion, t- you you brought up yeah. um, the uh, the Scopes trial and uh, Darwinism or evolution, you know mm-hmm. that that kind of stuff, and the culture war that was. And I, I remember even. Um, just as a, a, a tool maybe for you watching this um, to think about it almost philosophically. So none of us, I mean, I don't know when last time you did your biology was and when you, how many bones you've ripped open and yeah. actually read Darwin. I'm sure it's your morning reading. <laughs> uh, he, he was obviously a very smart guy, yeah. but I, I, I think taking it from more of a philosophical conversation, you know your background is helpful too, because the person watching—I don't know how scientific you actually are—but I remember reading a book a few years ago by a guy named Mitch Stokes, and he talked about the idea of uh, the 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 contradiction of cognitive faculties, which is basically if yeah. the conclusion is this: if evolution is actually like no God involved, just naturalistic evolution was mm-hmm. the way things happened, then you can't actually trust your own conclusion because. Mm-hmm from uh from what naturalism says is everything is the way it is born out of trying to survive Mm -hmm. and what's pragmatic in the moment to survive. Mm -hmm. So our bodies adapted over time to survival and making sure that our seed gets into the next generation. Everything that happens, the way our brains work, just follow this argument for a sec. So everything that happens isn't about what's true and right. It's about what works. So now we have this belief in God and the naturalist says, well, that's just some wiring from some hope from some weak person." and um, that you have to believe in God or whatever. Um, But what we would say back is, well, they would say, I would say, well, my cognitive faculties kind of over time created this belief in God. But if evolution is true, then the only way you think, what you think is, it was just based on, we're were an animal and we're trying to survive. Mm -hmm. Ergo, as Darwin said, I can't trust my thoughts Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. who can (laughs) trust the convictions of a monkey's mind? That was his quote. Well, if that's true, Mm -hmm. then yes, you're right. I can't trust the convictions of my mind about God, but I also can't trust my convictions about science. I can't trust my convictions about evolution because those thoughts have been driven only with what's pragmatic and what works, so you can't trust them. And Darwin came to that very point where he said, the the matrix I'm in that I can't get out of, the self-contradiction I'm in is if I'm right, and no we reason. are from yeah. monkeys. I <laughs> can't even trust my own conclusions. Right. Mm-hmm. So this is the philosophical piece yeah. that I think is important. Rather than getting into like, oh, look at this chicken bone and look at the wing and how right. it's... <laughs> uh, yeah. It's like, wait a minute. If what you're saying is true, we can't even know if it's true. Mm-hmm. There's a philosophical conversation to be had about a lot of this that I think is important.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, Darwin so is such an interesting character because... He actually started out uh, training to be a priest. Yeah and then abandoned that. He went, I think, to Cambridge and was studying uh, the medical world. And when he was exposed to surgeries and the sight of blood, it actually made him physically sick. Mm. And so he abandoned that and then he went on the voyage of the Let's Beagle. go to turtles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd rather look at, to yeah, look at turtles yeah. the Galapagos Islands and look at that. But it was, always, it was always the problem of evil that was, yeah. like, deeply yeah. disturbing to him and troubling to him. Um, but w- I like that you said the naturalistic evolution. Because I yes, think that's right. an important distinction. Okay. Because there are different views on on this topic. You have evolutionary creationism, which would embrace most, if not all, of Darwin's theory that evolution uh, is kind of God's idea, also known as theistic evolution, and that through natural selection, God brings about the wonderful diversity that we see on Earth. You have young Earth creationism, we're probably all familiar with that, that God didn't use evolution at all. And then, of course, you have to distinguish between micro, evolution. um, Yeah, within species. Within species. We used
0: to be Homo erectus and now right. we're homo sapien there was a caveman version yeah. of us that god breathed his spirit into and then we became human beings and that's when the image of god starts you know all that yeah story. yeah and then
2: progressive creationism which is like intelligent design or old earth creationism that god in a sense is injecting new information into mm-hmm. the system um and and some evolutionists actually would argue this that you look at the history of the globe and there seems to be these moments mm-hmm. i think uh uh, called punctuated equilibrium, mm-hmm. where there seems to be something new fed into the system, mm-hmm. yeah. some kind of information. And where Lennox would argue is like, okay, God is that source of information yeah. as the word, and he's injecting new things into the system. Yeah. But there, the point yeah. is there's so many different Stephen ways. Meyer has a book on that. Yeah, it's, he does. Signature in the Cell or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's intelligent he's, he's design. Yeah, but I, I think it's important to to identify like wherever one is on this whole conversation. We can't just like write off use the term evolution and equate it with atheism Mm -hmm. um, because there are different forms. Like there's naturalistic evolution, as you said, but then there's also the belief that uh, God could be using a certain process to create. God is still creator. I think that's what Genesis is telling us, by the way.
1: I think also if you come at this question and you're just absolutely convinced that the only way to read the Bible is this um, literal 24-hour period of Genesis I, I just encourage you that sometimes we use our interpretation of Genesis as a litmus test mm-hmm. for for Christianity yeah. and I just want to I want to say as someone that used to be in that camp mm. before I really applied myself to study in depth what the Bible says what what people who study this in depth mm. say, Um, I think it's not fair to use this as a litmus test Mm. for whether someone is an Orthodox Christian or not. I think with all things, we should show up to the conversation. We should read people on multiple sides of the Mm. aisle and we should really submit ourselves first and foremost to the creeds. And say, what do the creeds say Our ancient orthodox teachings about? What is the essence of Christianity? And let's make sure we're not just adding things onto that. Because surely the Bible is true. I believe that with all of my being, but sometimes I, I have to be honest, mm-hmm. I'm not the most faithful interpreter of scripture. And mm-hmm. it takes me listening to a Mark, listening to a Dom, listening to people that I disagree mm-hmm. with to make sure that the way I, Dina Davidson, am reading the Bible is actually the way that God intended it. Yeah. so Just, mm-hmm. good. just a cautionary.
0: Yeah, that's great. Okay, let's pivot this for the next few minutes over to uh, the connection to the existence of God and mm-hmm. uh, and how these two connect. Of course, is on the one hand, we can sometimes use science to say there's evidence, there's pointers mm-hmm. uh, that God might exist, and we're going to use our brain and our rationale to kind of hunt down these these evidences to, to to God's existence. So, what have been uh, what have been those for you? I know, I know. For me, I'll start with the with the kind of uh, concept of, you know, there's the moral argument Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll focus on just to segue the science piece. Uh, to the whole like uh, cosmological argument, which is basically um, philosophically um, for thousands of years, everybody, you know, go back to the Socrates and Aristotle and Plato. Everybody knew that if something begins to exist, it's called contingency. Mm-hmm. If something begins to exist, it has to have a cause. And so you began to exist at a certain time. And the reason you began to exist is because your parents, <clears throat> it's one night it was nice, it was candles, they liked each other and now you exist. But you had to have two people exist outside of you before you to make you exist. Everything that begins, which is a very important word, mm-hmm. to exist has to have a cause outside of itself that caused it. So the debate and the discussion for thousands of years, well, we here we have the, uni- what's the non-contingent thing? Well, it's the universe. The universe is the one thing we know. It never began to exist. You don't even need God. You just mm-hmm. go, the universe has been the thing that's always been here. Mm-hmm. And and that was enough. You could just die and think that. Uh, And then of course, Edwin Hubble and all the science started pointing toward, wait a minute, the universe even had a beginning. It's running out of energy, right? Entropy, we know it's a flashlight. It's the batteries burning out. And the universe is expanding. And for for those of us who aren't real scientists, here's the crazy part about it actually. Because when we picture the universe expanding, I think we picture like all the planets and the stars and the galaxies of which there are infinite amounts, which is just crazy, crazy to start thinking about how big the universe is. We picture them like moving, like, like together that they're moving. But what mm-hmm. science tells us is they're not moving. They're actually, they're actually set like like buttons on a balloon. Mm. And it's the universe itself that is expanding. What? In, and expanding balloons, into what? It's expanding into yeah. what? Dog! <laughs> I'm freaking out now. I'm up at two in the morning going, "What's it expanding into?" It's expanding out. And so once we start to realize this, that this we started doing the math and we Mm -hmm. realized science day that about 15 billion years ago, from what we can tell in 2024, who knows whether this will be redacted. I'm sure there's many people trying to redact this about that, whatever uh, all time and energy and matter came into existence in a single moment. And, and it's, and the universe has been expanding ever since. Mm -hmm. And so when we came to that conclusion, it was originally the, the atheists that didn't like that, Explanation because yeah. what it spoke, it reeked of God, they said. <laughs> that
2: there's a beginning.
0: There's a beginning because yeah. now the argument is if something begins to exist, it has to have a cause. Well, we know the universe began to exist, ergo, the universe has to have a cause. That is one of the philosophical arguments of yeah. where science and the existence of God at least start to evidentially come together. It's not like a full proof. Mm -hmm. It's just, oh, wait, let me pause a little bit here and realize science is actually pointing towards something here and not taking away from something. So that was one of the things that helped me with the existence of God. You guys. And
1: this is the exact moment where the scientist uh, who comes from a more naturalistic assumption is like, ah, see, I knew it. Like we allowed a divine (laughs) foot in the door. Now you're just (laughs) positing God's existence to answer for the... So... I, I would just say um, you know Mark that is an explanation but that doesn't mean you have to stop asking the question mm-hmm. but but basically what the argument that Mark is making is is really good argument is this is the best explanation at the given time yeah yeah and that's all you can believe to be yeah. honest yeah.
2: Yeah, all and, you can believe it, yep. is the
1: best explanation yeah. at this given time. And that is the scientific method. Allow your theory to be open to revision if different yep. evidence comes along. See, we're, we're still doing science. It's not a God of the gaps argument. Yeah,
2: yeah, and it's interesting yeah. to see, too, some of the answers that they are putting forward to mm-hmm. try and give an explanation for the beginning the of all things. Multiverse. That's kind of the mm-hmm. more pop level thing now. Yeah. Uh, Lawrence Krauss, the universe from nothing. And when you dig into mm-hmm. that, what does he mean by nothing? Because that sounds like a biblical idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, and by nothing, he literally means like the laws of gravity, which Stephen Hawking wrote about. I think mm-hmm. his last book, uh, mm-hmm. The Grand Design. Um, and the premise of these books is because of quantum gravity, or some would say the multiverse, like the universe actually didn't have a beginning, mm-hmm. um, and it therefore doesn't have a. It's have had a multiple God. beginnings. It's had so multiple a, beginnings. There's that version and, too. And, and and it's it interesting went, too to see like yeah. some yeah. of the the, the back the and answers, forth yeah. that yeah. Uh, Lennox has had with guys like Hawking. They, they have a fa- or had a fascinating relationship. Um, I think Hawking may have changed his view on God. Um because he's no longer with us. But Hawking, he once wrote an article about a decade ago, and he said in that article, quote, Christianity is a fairy story for those afraid of the dark. Mm. And they then went to... Such a
1: good quote. Like, you just want to be on his side after hearing that. And then
2: Lennox, they went to Lennox, uh, who was at Oxford at the time, they're like, hey, uh, what do you think of this? And his response was, well, no, atheism is a fairy story for those afraid of the light. So they've always had kind of this back-and-forth relationship. And so then Hawking wrote that book, The Grand Design, saying, gravity made it all. Mm-hmm. And then <laughs> Lennox wrote a book called God and Stephen Hawking, and he basically takes him to task saying he's wrong on three different levels. Like the law of gravity is something, mm-hmm. right? It's not nothing. Okay. It's logically incoherent mm-hmm. to say that X created X. And thirdly, laws by definition depend on the existence of nature. They describe reality. They don't create reality. Yes. Yeah. So I think that whole like, notion of the gaps, mm-hmm. as followers of Jesus, we're not just trying to fill gaps here. We believe that God's the God of the whole show. You draw a circle around all the questions and the uncertainty. Well, he's the source of all things.
1: With this, I I feel like a a really simpler answer is it's not scientific, but I do believe it is honoring of the scientific Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. quest. And that is just going out and seeing nature. And this is an experience that humanity has had and has chronicled Mm -hmm. from the beginning of time. It's walking out. Looking up at the mountains,
2: yeah. Walking
1: out, mm-hmm. looking up at the stars, and just sensing both through your soul mm-hmm. as well as your mind yeah. that there is something behind this. Yeah. There is something That's that good. created this grand beauty, and I would say it's a good argument for the existence of God.
2: Yeah, yeah. Have you guys looked into the teleological argument? You mentioned the cosmological mm-hmm. yes. argument. Yeah. Um, that everything exists is, exists because there's a cause. Teleological yeah. argument. It's like. The complexity and the beauty yes. of of the yep. universe points to the fact that there must be a designer. So when you're sharing that, I thought of that psalm. You know, heavens yep. declare the, the, the ma- beauty well, the, and, of that. And, and
0: the scientists kind of go into with the teleological argument, go into like the the chances, the mathematical oh. probability that this a is universe is the like Goldilocks our, universe. yeah, the, yeah, exactly, exactly. The, the chances that this universe would come into existence, the mathematical probabilities are so insane yeah. that that you would almost have to use the word miracle yeah, because of the amount of, to Lennox's point about laws, I've heard one writer set it up where they said there are 122 constants and picture them as dials Mm -hmm. across a board and they need to be zoned in, he said, to the million millionth Hmm. or... the minute something starts to work, a gravitational pull or a a sun, whatever, the whole thing falls apart. So 122 variables need to be honed in within a million millionth. And if one of them goes off one tick in the dial, everything else collapses and the universe never even begins to exist. So here's the crazy thing where my mind goes, it's like Telenix's point about you need, in order for the universe to have ever come into existence, at least this is the, the present discussion these these constants had to work they, they're laws that need to start working which means they already have to exist mm-hmm. right. before they start to work mm-hmm. to let the universe become into be come into being where are they who's where where <laughs> do they exist who's got them dialed in like all of these they're not proofs but they're they're at least going theists aren't dumb right. We're not sitting around like I just want God because I'm scared of the dark. It's like, <laughs> shoot, some real scientific data is pointing yes. toward. I start to almost become uh um less intelligent mm-hmm. when I'm when I'm denying the reality of theism yeah. and yeah. God and and because I'm I'm just functioning with as nature as you said is the whole show. Well, if nature's the whole show, then I'm never gonna be able to come up with answers about anything beyond nature, but then I'm using nature to disprove the thing that's beyond nature.
2: It's actually so mind-blowing. Like The the sun, uh, 93 million miles away, if it was 94 million miles away, we would have no life. If it was 92 million miles away, no life. The tilt of the Earth, it's Mm -hmm. 23.5 degrees. If it didn't tilt, uh, we would run the risk of becoming tidally locked. Hydrogen must convert 0.007 percent of its mass. If that was at all different, Mm -hmm. life wouldn't Mm -hmm. exist. The atmosphere has to have exactly 21 percent oxygen. 22 percent life doesn't exist. The ocean, 3.4 percent salt, Mm -hmm. which is the exact percent of salt in our blood which is mm-hmm. interesting but if that was changed we, we wouldn't have like I mean it goes water. on and on the expansion rate yes. of the universe you mentioned right. that what's it expanding yeah. into Yeah. Um, I heard one guy use the analogy of dice just the odds of the mm-hmm. universe existing mm-hmm. Yes. take the whole God conversation out of it just yes. the odds that we're even here is yeah. miraculous if you had dice and you roll it the chance of getting a six is one in six right, right. the chances of getting two sixes is one in 36 each time you roll it gets yeah. more and more unlikely the chance of you rolling it 70 times in a row is one in 10 to the, 50, the 55th power, um, which you, in order to do that, you would need to roll dice for 100 trillion, 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 trillion years. Mm-hmm. That's only one constant of, of this mm-hmm. whole anthropic principle being yeah. correct. Yes. So you look at these 122, the odds of us even being here mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. astronomical. It's impossible, mm-hmm. really. Uh, so, what is
0: the cause of that? Yeah, you'd have to use the word miracle. Yeah, um, and uh, one last thing to, to both those points, um, you know, any other alternate belief about the the beginning of the universe, like the 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 crunch or the the multiverse, the fascinating irony about all of that, and again, across the coffee table with you is. Is that is a faith position. That's what you're that's what you're saying, Dina. Yeah. That's a faith position. So so you want me to believe in a multiverse. You want me to believe in in thousand infinite amounts of universes to which you have no evidence. Yeah. It's just a hypothetical. Yeah. Um, because we've never gone outside of our own universe and found another one and then gone, okay. So it's two, there might be an infinite amount of them. So there's no evidence to this. Mm-hmm. You want me to believe in an infinite amount of universes to which there is no evidence. And all I'm asking you to believe in is one person Mm -hmm. of which there is evidence (laughs) and your faith position in something you can't prove is going to make you not believe in this one of which there is some evidence toward it. And then you're critical of all faith positions. Mm. That is a faith position. And so we constantly have to be going inside of our own um, assumptions here and go, I do have a faith position. You always do. The reason you don't believe in A is because you've already decided to believe in B. (laughs) And so at least acknowledge that and be real with it when you come to this conversation about science and the
2: multiverse God. conversation, too. Like, I don't think we should be threatened by it. No. Like, if someone's like, hey, oh, there's I will even have sure. <laughs> Let's <laughs> have that conversation. Podcast. Like, <laughs> maybe, yeah. Maybe there is a, an yeah. alternate universe right. here that, uh, you know, we need to unpack. But um, John, Pol- <laughs> John Polkinghorne, he wrote this book called God and Quantum Gravity. And he begins to explore these kinds of ideas. Like, yeah. these questions, I think, are beautiful. If it turns out the multiverse is true, like, whoa. Yeah. Right. Maybe what? eternity just is just the
0: movement from one universe to the next. 100%. God is so complex and wonderful. All of this can be contained. There's no, yeah, you start poking around into quantum mechanics and all of a sudden the conversation about miracles were the old, the old 1800s version of the way gravity worked and those all old arguments. And then we're like, oh, there's miracles. No, there's no such thing as miracles because the laws say that. It's like then you quantum mechanics, you're like, I don't know what's going on. Something tweaks on this side of the universe and it tweaks over here. And there's, if you play, do you see this documentary? I don't even know if it's true. You could look it up on the YouTube comments. Um, Where if you play um, beautiful music to water over time, they looked at it in a mic, like a mic beyond microscopic, mm. and the water like clarifies and what? dances. That's but crazy. if you play ska music to it, <laughs> no, no, I, th- there's a documentary out there. <laughs> Again, you can check whether this is factual. The water starts to turn but color and to actually panic? function differently. Wow! <laughs> uh, I believe the documentary is called uh, something like "What the Bleep" or so. It's all about quantum mechanics. <laughs> Who the bleep are we? Or what the bleep? Like literally, the word "bleep" is in the title. Um, anyway, I don't know the truth to it. I just remember reading this watching the documentary, and, and it's like at the quantum level, there's things happening mm-hmm. that we got weird dances of things that are where I was like, Man, this does this is not threatening mm-hmm. string, theory. Right. Yeah. string theory to your point. It's string theory. Yeah, that's what the whole documentary is about. String theory. This doesn't oh my gosh, so string theory, ergo, God doesn't exist. It's like, man, he's complex and he's created this beautiful world. Mm-hmm. And when he was turning water into wine. Yeah. maybe he was doing some string theory stuff and dealing at quantum mechanic levels and it all fits right
2: Yeah, when we see beauty in the world or complexity in the world, it it points us to the source of beauty. And I think it really encourages us to ask the question, where does even the notion of beauty come from? The colors of a a sunset, the weird resonance of ska music to our molecular structure, Um, (laughs) light dancing on the leaves of trees, like hear a song that moves you, a good movie or whatever. Uh, I watched BBC Planet Earth the other day and Emperor Penguins jumping into a 50-foot wave like all these things are amazing. To Hans Zimmer music. Like, summer music, like there—it's an experience of yeah. beauty so that evokes this
0: <laughs> nameless, like yearning within us, right? Hundred yeah, percent. Okay, guys, thank you, thank you, thank you. One last thing. Did no, I was just say,
1: can we fire off quick names to keep pursuing this conversation? Like you mentioned, Plantinga, Lennox, anyone else? You just want to say. Talking
2: Horn, um, Alice McGrath, specifically when it comes to the existence of God and, and science and religion, the history of science and religion, yeah. brilliant.
1: I think my last thought is if, you know, whether you're dialoguing with someone who it comes from a completely naturalistic um, scientific viewpoint mm-hmm. or more of a theistic scientific viewpoint, I think our commonality and where we can cheer each other on is we're both committed to the truth and that's the that's where yeah. the conversation yeah. can move forward. Great. Let's
2: both 100%. be committed.
0: Love it. Okay. Well, hopefully this conversation on the existence of God has been helpful to you. Join us for the next podcast.